invite you to take your Bible and turn with me in the New Testament uh, to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. We've been looking at this uh, letter together in our morning uh, worship services over the last little while. Uh, this morning we're going to be reading uh, 1 Peter 1. We'll begin reading at verse uh, 17 just to pick up the wonderful context again here. And we'll read down to verse 25, and we'll be focusing this morning just on that last section, verses 22 uh, to 25. And so, this is uh, the eternal Word of God, beginning in 1 Peter 1, verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, for this uh, blessing we have, this privilege we have, to come together again this morning as your people and have you speak to us by your Spirit uh, through the Word. And so, Lord, we pray that again you would, as we know you will, accomplish uh, your good and perfect purposes, uh, even in this service this morning, in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you think about the the Bible. How do you think about the Bible? How do you think about the Word of God? Uh, is the Bible uh, more like a uh, painting hanging in the National Gallery, or is it uh, more like a, a surgeon's scalpel at the ready in the operating room? When you think about the Bible, is it something up on a wall to be admired, or is it a scalpel in the operating room? When you think of God's Word, is it more like a, uh, a weighted blanket from bed, bath, and beyond? Um, or do you think of the Bible more as a, a freshwater spring in the desert? Is the uh, Scripture to you more like a volume of the 1972 Encyclopedia Britannica? Um, or more like a first edition of the Constitution. Well, what would be the difference in your view of the Bible? Well, art is admired. A scalpel saves lives. 
a weighted blanket, smothers a freshwater spring revives. What about your old Encyclopedia Britannica? Well, online somebody asked this question. They, had, they were wondering about their old Encyclopedia Britannicas, and someone asked this question. Are my encyclopedias worth anything? The response was, well, once considered indispensable, they've gone the way of the dodo. They're extinct, and they uh, gather dust on thrift store shelves. But what about a, uh, 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 a signed copy of the Constitution? You know, original. Well, that would be, of course, priceless. It's the difference between neglected Bible, neglected word, and prized word, you see. The word of God we're learning in 1 Peter 1 uh, transforms lives. Those who are born again, we remember from verse 3, there's folks who've been, God has caused them to be born again. They're not going to give birth to themselves, but God has caused them to be born again, and that uh, new birth leads to all sorts of wonderful fruit in their life. And we've seen it already. We were looking at verses 13, and it says that there's a therefore. When you're born again, there's a great big therefore. There's going to be holiness of life. You are going to bear the family likeness. You're going to look more and more like God himself because he's holy. You will be holy, and there will be fear of God. That is, there will be reverence of God, awe of God, as you conduct your way uh, in this life. And remember, Peter's talking to believers in a, uh, a culture that's hostile. Uh, he's talking to believers that are being persecuted in the world in which they live. And, um, and that's why this letter is so important for us as Christians in the United States of America, as we feel uh, more of the pinch of the world, the culture not, not as favorable to the Christian faith or the Christian church, and persecution of believers here in our country too. And so then we saw last time that even as uh, Peter's talking about all this uh, wonderful fruit of holiness and fear of God, uh, he, he mentions the, the blood of Christ and that that's why, we, uh, that's why we don't live like we used to because we've been ransomed from that former life through the precious blood of Jesus. The cross means forgiveness of sin and it means a new life. It means justification and sanctification. It means we belong to God and then Peter kind of lost himself for a while as he was thinking about the precious blood of Christ. And he was thinking about Jesus, chosen before the foundation of the world, and, but he's been manifest to you and me, and, and he is glorious. Father's given him glory. So that, we ended last time, so that your faith and hope are in God. But there's more. Said the Apostle Paul, you might remember, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And, uh, and Peter would agree. Having purified, he says, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So this morning, uh, we want to consider the fruit uh, and the root of the Christian life. First of all, the fruit that Peter continues to remind us of. He says, a a heart that has uh, received salvation and such a grace that he's been talking about. Again, prophets long to look into it. Angels are wondering what's going on with the grace of God. Well, when you receive that salvation and grace, that leads to holiness of life. It leads to the fear of God. And it also means, says Peter, brotherly love. Love for the brethren. Uh, We know elsewhere in scripture, of course, we are to love our neighbors And Jesus tells that parable of the Good Samaritan to tell us that that means everybody. 
you love as a Christian everybody uh, because your neighbor is everybody, uh, anybody who comes upon your path. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. Here he's talking about love of our brothers and sisters in Christ, love for God's people, whoever they are, and wherever they are. Uh, this past week in our uh, Confession of Faith study, we were looking at chapter 26 of the Westminster Confession, one of my favorite chapters called Of the Communion of Saints. This is what it says. All saints, that is all Christians, that are united to Jesus Christ their head by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him, that is with Jesus, and his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. We're united to Christ. All that he has and does is ours. And, we confess in that Westminster Confession of Faith, and being united to one another in love, they, that saints, have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and the outward man. That's what we confess. We're united to Christ. Uh, we share in his, his graces, and we're united to each other in love, and we share in each other's graces. Peter says it is a sincere brotherly love. Now, that word sincere is actually in the negative. In the Greek, it's a word that means unhypocritical. Uh, it means uh, like not wearing an actor's mask as they used to do. You want to be someone else, you put on a, a mask, you pretend you're somebody at Halloween or something like that unhypocritical, or as an older translation, I think the King James had it, uh, an unfeigned love. I like that word better. Uh, because we've got to think about, well, what would a feigned love look like? Peter says, listen, uh, with uh, being born again, with the love of Christ within you, the Holy Spirit working within you, uh, holiness of life, fear of God, and a uh, sincere brotherly love, an unhypocritical, unfeigned love. Well, what would a feigned love be? Well, when you think about playing sports, you may have heard of this word feign before, or uh, we usually use the word fake. But think about in soccer, for instance. In soccer, you might, uh, you might feign left uh, or feign right uh, is the older way to use that word. Um, to feign something is to put on a false appearance of something. It is to pretend something. And the reason you feign something, of course, in soccer is in order to mislead somebody. Right? In soccer, a player with the ball wants to get a shot at the goal, and, uh, but they don't want you to know you're actually going that way. Um, so you feign this way. You, you, you pretend you're going this way. But that's not really your intention at all. That's called feigning. Um, the Bible says our love for the brothers is to be unfeigned, unhypocritical. That means it is not to be simply the appearance of love without the substance of love. It's not to be a pretend love. It's not to be playing at love. It's not to be the deceptive appearance of love and the impression of love when actually there is no love there in the heart at all. It must be genuine love, sincere love without hypocrisy. Brotherly love in Greek is actually just one word. Uh, you know what it is. Uh, Philadelphian is the word. The city of brotherly love. That's where that name comes from. So true, true Christians, says Peter, are Philadelphians. Uh, they love each other as brothers. Now, don't think of Eagles fans or, uh, you know, 76ers fans or Phillies fans or something like that, because you may not come up with love in your mind. Uh, you know, something like that. Don't think that. But that's what the word means. Sincere, brotherly love. In other words, 
It's not the kind of love. A Christian does not show the kind of love that is only love in appearance or that is only love in words. Is our love of the brethren sincere? Or is it an attempt to give the appearance of love, to give the appearance of concern, where actually our hearts are in a totally opposite direction, just like that soccer player? What does that look like? Well, insincere love is uh, maybe someone asking you how you're doing. How are you doing? And before you can answer, you know, there are four steps beyond you. They don't really care. Insincere love is speaking to someone about their cares and concerns. Uh, oh, how are you doing? But looking over them and past them for someone you really want to talk to. Oh, how's it going? Yeah, good. It's uh, giving the impression of listening, but really you're just planning your next words. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, let me tell you. It is uh, making a profession of faith in Jesus, taking vows in a church. Um, I will be a faithful member of this church. Uh, you know, I'm going to love this body. But then when your church gathers, you're not there. It's coming to worship with brothers and sisters in the Lord in one building like we're doing this morning. That's the appearance of love. But if there's anger in your heart or jealousy towards another, or if you try to sit as far as possible from anyone else in a place of worship, if you come at the last minute at you, and you leave at the first possible opportunity, that's the appearance of love, but it's not love of the brethren. A husband going off to work every day to make money and put food on the table and clothes in the closet, toys on the shelf, is the appearance of love. But if there is pride in his heart, if there's a lording it over his wife, if he's exasperating his children to anger, there's no love for the brothers there. No true love of his wife or his children. To prepare a meal for someone in the church and to deliver that meal or have it delivered is the appearance of love. But not if you're secretly begrudging it in your heart. Oh, I wish I didn't have to do this. I guess I have to. I'm part of the church. I need to do this. To speak of the body of Christ, and I have brothers and sisters in the faith, that may give the appearance of love, but if we slander other Christians, other denominations who share the same gospel and the same Savior, and we speak condescendingly of them and proudly of ourselves, it's not brotherly love. Love must be sincere, says Peter, in, uh, unhypocritical, unfeigned, genuine. But notice what he says. It also must be an earnest love. He's not done. Uh, a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Uh, now, isn't that interesting? The apostle simply could have ended the sentence with love one another, or even love one another from a pure heart, but he doesn't. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Um, it means to be passionate. It means with heart and soul. It means to show great warmth and intensity of spirit. It means to be eager. Uh, it's the kind of love that's not sporadic, that comes and goes, it's not the kind of love that's given reluctantly and begrudgingly. It's an eager love, a love full of passion and warmth. It's not simply a love that one uh, feels they have to give out a duty. No, it's from the heart. It's from the soul. It can't be contained. Peter's giving us a picture here of a, a burning flame within us that can't be put out, a flame that grows and burns constantly, always seeking an outlet uh, a fervent love. We know that because in the rest of Scripture where that word's used. We read of Apollos in Ephesus, for instance, a disciple of Aquila and Priscilla, the Bible says, and being fervent in spirit, earnest in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. 
He couldn't help but speak of Jesus. He was fervent. He had a zeal and passion for the things of God. In Romans 12, Paul exhorts all Christians, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Oh, yeah. As Christians who serve the Lord, how do we do that? Oh, i got to serve the Lord. No, the Bible says with heart and soul, earnestly, because you're so thankful, of course, for what the Lord has done for you. James 5 speaks of Elijah praying fervently. Later in this letter, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, Peter will say this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, earnestly, fervently. Uh, It's the idea of a deep love. You know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. In order for love to cover a multitude of sins, it's got to be a deep love. Because if you've got a shallow love, you're not going to cover anything. Earnest, fervent love of the brethren. So that's the picture here uh, that we're called upon, uh, uh, the fruit that we're to have towards one another. Now, how can this be? What's going to make that happen, that you'd have a whole bunch of people in a church fervently, earnestly, with heart and soul, not hypocritically, but actually loving one another? What's going to make that happen? Because I'm sure you're sitting here this morning thinking, oh boy, that would be nice. (laughs) But no, uh, it doesn't happen. Where do we see this love? I mean, remember Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation that they had left their first love. Probably their love for God, their love for others. They lost their passion. In the letter to the Laodiceans, Jesus calls them to account for their lukewarmness. No fervency in that church. And he tells them to be zealous and repent. So it's not good to be indifferent. They had lost their fire and passion for the things of God and the people of God and God himself. So how can we have such a love as this? A fervent, passionate, intense, and warm, and deep love for Christ and for one another. Well, Peter tells us only through a heart that has been touched by the truth of God as it's been revealed to us in Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit. Because when, he, uh, when we know his love for us, we know that we love, we love as we should love because he loved us. And his love for us is sincere, unhypocritical, unfeigned, And his love is fervent. You've heard of the cross. That's his love. And because he loved, we love. Only a heart, says Peter, uh, that has believed and obeyed the truth. Having, he says, purified your souls, cleansed your souls by your obedience to the truth. For a sincere, brotherly love. The only person who has a brotherly love, an earnest love, is someone who has had their soul or their spirit, their life, that is, their very life, cleansed and washed and purified by the truth. The truth as it is in Jesus. That Peter's been talking about. The truth, that salvation and new life, what we sang earlier, a living hope is found in no one else, no other name, than in the name of Jesus and through the precious blood he spilt as the lamb without blemish. And so you see, when you, when you, when you believe the truth, the uh, Bible speaks about obeying the truth, as Peter does here. Um, uh, God, God uses that truth in our lives, and he washes us, he cleanses us, he, he purifies us. And the more we walk in that truth, uh, the more we are purified and cleansed. But here Peter's saying, 
Having been, that is, it's in the past. You came to faith, uh, you came to believe, uh, you obeyed the truth. We know in 1 John 3, John says, you know, this is his commandment. We read it this morning. You know what his commandment is? To believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you don't believe in Jesus, that's a sin. You're disobeying Almighty God, who says you need to believe. And so you obey the truth, and you put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus. And by the way, John says, this is his commandment to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to love one another. Oh boy, it's important, isn't it? Right beside believing in Jesus is bearing evidence that you believe in Jesus with a sincere love of the breath. Now, that's glorious. So Peter's been talking here in this chapter about um, you know, someone who's been caused to be born again. And uh, they've received salvation, they've received grace, and therefore there's holiness of life. There is uh, fear of God. God is more awesome to you than anybody else, and because there's fear of God, there's fear of no one else. And there is a sincere love for every other brother and sister who knows this gospel. And you're united to them, even as much as you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is glorious. It's a glorious fruit of the gospel. Faith, hope, and love, sincere and earnest. But again, where does it come from? Notice what Peter says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth... For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Since, for, holiness of life, fear of God, sincere love, because... Something's happened to you. You've been born again. How? Something has come to you that is not perishable, but imperishable. And, and Peter says it's the living. Remember elsewhere in the Bible, it says the Bible is like a, uh, it cuts to the penetrating of the, between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Through the living and abiding word of God. It is imperishable seed. In other words, the message which came to these folks through the apostles, says Peter, was not something that changes from year to year, not something that comes and goes, not something that's here today and gone tomorrow, not something that is true one day and false the next day, not something that lives today and dies tomorrow like many a YouTube hit or TikTok fascination or Twitter fad. Here today, gone tomorrow until something else comes. This seed, not like that. It is imperishable. That means it will not die. It cannot die. Its very nature is life. And once it has been planted within you, this seed is eternal. Uh, It gives life. Think about the parable of the sower. The seed is is the word of God. Now, here's the thing. Normally, we read, for instance, in the Gospel of John, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it will not produce fruit, right? So that grain has to to die in order for there to be fruit. It has to perish. This seed, says Peter, is planted, but it never dies. It is the living 
and abiding word. That's the, the, the instrument through which, the material instrument through which, uh, the word through which uh, you come to be born again. How were they brought to faith? Where does faith, hope, and love come from? How can anyone be born again? Is it magical, says Peter? No. Is it some kind of mystical experience disconnected from reality and you just got to hum something to you and then, no. Uh, is it to be found within yourself, within you? No. Does it come through personal enlightenment or uh, you know, watching as many videos as you possibly can on the internet? No. Maybe in some special program? No. Maybe in a certain heritage. Maybe if you're born in a certain family or born in a certain country? No says the Apostle, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God, the living and enduring Word of God, the Word of the Gospel. In verse 25, uh, the Scripture there refers to the Word as the good news, uh, the Gospel, the message of Christ, His cross, His resurrection, His ascension. This, says the Apostle, is the means by which God is pleased to bring about the salvation of men. And that's why uh, in the history of the Reformed Church or Presbyterian Church, the preaching of the Word of God is called the primary means of grace. Because the Bible says it is through the living and abiding and enduring Word that the Holy Spirit uses to cause people to be born Again, And the point here in 1 Peter 1 is, you will not have any of this fruit. You will not have any holiness in your life at all. You won't have any fear of God. And that's a bad place to be. You won't have any sincere love for the brothers. You won't have any of that fruit unless something happens to your root. Unless the Word of God penetrates and transforms you and that seed, that imperishable seed of that word, lives within. Now that speaks, of course, to the purpose of me preaching, or anybody preaching. The gospel's not preached, the word's not preached, that you would only hear it. The gospel's not preached, that it may only fill our minds with new facts. Oh, you know, the minister said something interesting today. That's great. Uh, He's usually pretty boring, so I'm thankful that there was something new, you know. Um, the gospel is not preached that it may only give us some kind of experience of the divine. And, oh, that really felt great to be at worship today. The gospel is not preached that it may simply be told as a nice story with a moral message. You, you guys need to be kind. You need to love one another. No. The gospel is not preached as one religious option among many. Gospels not preached simply to fill two hours of your day every Sunday. Uh, it's not preached to entertain you. It's not preached to make you laugh. It's not preached to give you helpful hints for living. No, says the apostle, the very gospel that's to be preached, the very word that God has called me to preach to you here at Sovereign Grace is the very word of God, Peter says, which is the power of God unto your salvation to change your life, to change your heart by the Holy Spirit of God. The word lives, says Peter, the word endures, the word abides. And it never ceases to be valid for our lives. It never becomes outdated. It will never stop bringing men and women and children to faith. It will never disappear. It cannot be ignored. It cannot be set aside. It cannot be corrupted. It is God's means of grace. And it is so important, you see. uh, The apostle goes on to explain why it is so necessary, this imperishable word. For, he says, 
Verse 24, because all flesh is like grass, and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers, as you know, in Southern California, and the flower falls. But, thanks be to God, he didn't say that, but we can say, but thanks be to God, uh, the word of the Lord remains forever. Don't miss this. The fruit comes from the root, and you need the living and abiding word of God because all flesh is as grass. Now, friends, this is no news to you. You will not live forever on this earth. We all pass through stages of life. Even as the grasses and the flowers of the field, there's new life sprouting from the ground. And isn't that great, right? You see, maybe you have a garden or something like that, and you see life come up. Uh, it's an exciting, exciting time. New life. And then um, there's a time of growth as we grow into maturity. Uh, we're not sure exactly when that is. Yeah, when do we really come mature? But then there's a time of blossoming in our life, and we're full of life and energy and excitement. And then there's a time of withering when our bodies can no longer take the kind of activity and use that we once enjoyed. And then there's a time of death when at last the wear and tear of life on our bodies takes its final toll and our life on earth is ended. The apostle's quoting from Isaiah 40, and he says that's what men are like. All flesh is like grass. That's what you and I are like. We will come and we will go. That's what men's great ideas and schemes are like. That's what men's stories and programs and plans and visions and dreams are like. They come and they go. And they're constantly changing. And that's what error and corruption and, and distortion are like. And that's what men's words and speeches and lectures are like. I mean, how many of you remember uh, you know, what your uh, grade five science teacher taught you? In, uh, in that, no, um, you don't remember that. They wither, they fade, they cannot stand the test of time. They wither and are forgotten. But, says the scripture, but, says the Apostle Paul, the word of the Lord remains or abides, endures forever. Everything else, all flesh, will come and go. But the word remains forever. If we were to think back to the time when the Apostle Peter wrote, uh, we would see, no doubt, the converts who had accepted the word of God here in 1 Peter they probably would have been a mere handful of people amid the throngs of paganism. They were probably meeting in homes. We read about that in the New Testament as the church grew. There were larger numbers as well, but they would meet in homes in smaller numbers. The religion they professed, as Peter's writing to them, was scorned by all those around them. They were a stumbling block to the Jews, to the Greeks. The word was foolishness. And its preachers in the main, a few poor, untrained, uninfluential men of no rank or great ability fishermen. And on the other hand, those folks living in that day knew that great crowds gathered to worship and proclaim the greatness of Diana of the Ephesians or the Dodgers. Uh, and, and they knew the power of the Roman Empire or the British Empire or the American Empire. But the Roman Empire was at its height when this letter came to them, or it seemed so. 
And now, of course, that great temple of Ephesus is a pile of ruins, and over the Roman power, such changes have passed, it has utterly faded out of existence. But the doctrines of the one from Galilee, the truth Jesus proclaimed and embodied, the one himself, himself was, was the word of God and uh, who speaks the word of God to us through the scripture, lives, abides, and endures. All flesh is like grass. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, it must have been very hard for the people who first received this letter, as it is for you and I, to come to grips, though, with Peter's comparison here. It's very difficult for us. In fact, it's only the Spirit of God that can convince us. Because you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute. With all man's accomplishments, in fact, with all, with all that I've done and am doing, you know, with all our knowledge and hard work, with all our technology and with all our medical breakthroughs, with all our fitness centers. I, I read, I think, this past week that there's more fitness centers in America than churches. Are we, you know, are we really like the grass? We're pretty tough. You know, we like to exercise our muscles, run, work out, and think we will live forever. I mean, surely we are better than grass. And the apostle, no doubt anticipating our objections, allows that a man has a certain glory. Hmm. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory, there's glory. It's like the flower of grass. But there is a certain glory. But before you become dazzled by it, know, says the apostle Peter, that it, it, it withers too, and it falls too. Um, I was reading, you know, uh, Creation Ministries International. You maybe heard of Dr. Jonathan Sarfati. Um, we get his, their magazine. I was reading in one magazine, I know, quite a while ago. He's, he's quite a chess player. He once played, uh, or he does, he plays like a hundred people at once. And he just goes from table to table or something. And he beats them all. hundred people at once. Ooh. That's pretty glorious. I mean, how many Super Bowls is Tom Brady going to win anyway? I mean, how many, how, many, how many Super Bowls can a guy actually win? Think of the most beautiful or handsome person you can think of right now in your mind. The most glorious beauty you've ever seen. The Bible reminds us that no matter how beautiful something may appear to be in man's eyes, in one day it will be no more. He tells us that every one of us, every one of us seems to be something until we come to God, and then even our most glorious accomplishments appear as nothing in His presence. Because, friends, remember, man's glory is in this world, but it has no place in heaven. The Bible says Jesus will be the only light in eternity, shining, you see. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And it's a powerful word, you see. It has power to change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It has power to transform our lives. It has power by the Spirit to cause us to be born again. So that all this fruit that Peter's talking about becomes ours. And we walk in holiness. Oh, we fear God above all. And we have a sincere, not an apparent, or a feigned, or a hypocritical, but we actually... By God's grace, have a sincere, genuine love for our brothers and sisters, and we want to be with them. 
We want to study the Bible with them. We want to pray with them. We want to worship with them. We want to serve with them. We want to be alongside them more than than anyone else. Someone has said, though men were hard as rocks, the word is a hammer which can break them. Though men are as sharp as thorns and briars, the word is a fire which can devour and torment them. Though men be as strong as kingdoms and nations, the word is able to root them up and to pull them down. And though men be as fierce as dragons and lions, the word is able to trample upon them and chain them up. Oh, friends, the Apostle Peter wants us to know this morning the great difference that exists between men who are simply born into the world in a state of sin and those who have been born again through the living word of God into a state of grace. You see. He wants us to make sure that we have constantly before our eyes the reality of the hopeless, miserable situation that man lives in under, apart from the gospel. They will wither and they will fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And it is the imperishable seed, the undying seed that lives within the child of God. You may have noticed, Peter used that word a couple times, imperishable seed within an imperishable inheritance to come, and you've been saved by an imperishable sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it's only the imperishable blood of Christ coming to you through the imperishable word of Christ that grants you an imperishable inheritance in Christ. Well, all this about the word. And then Peter simply ends this chapter by saying, and... uh, And this word that does this, that lasts like this, that has power like this, this word is the good news that was preached to you. It is the word that whenever you sit under the preaching of the word or hear the preaching of the word, it is the word that's coming to you. Oh, what a privilege we have. It's the word that is preached here in this place as we gather as brothers and sisters to worship the Lord. You know, the world has been using this word privilege in our culture in order to shame whole groups of people. But here truly, here truly is privilege. It is the privilege of hearing the word of God. Oh boy, that is a privilege. Not to shame us, but that is a privilege for which Peter would have us to be eternally thankful, you see. This is the word that was preached to you, and Peter simply says at the end of this chapter, when you believe it, when you receive it, there will be fruit. There will be fruit that only comes uh, when you've been born again by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, which lives at the root of your life, that you might live to the glory of God. There will be holiness of life. There will be fear of God. And there will be sincere love for the brethren. So at the end of this chapter, you and I simply need to ask this question. Has this seed, has this seed, has this word actually penetrated your heart? Because the Bible says, 
The sower sows the seed. Some hearts, it, it goes down deep, as it does here in first, and produces great fruit. Others, it, it, it hits and, and, and is taken away. Others, it's crowded out and choked out, you see. But it's only the seed that, that goes deep within that bears great fruit. Oh, yes, it's a, uh, it's a surgeon's scalpel. It is a spring of life, and it is precious uh, beyond words. This is the word that comes to you and I. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, by your Holy Spirit, you would take even this word this morning that we have thought on and that's been proclaimed, Lord, that you would take this word and uh, work it deep within us. We know, Lord, that in our sinful nature, Lord, we have no uh, faith of our own. The faith itself is a gift from you. So, Lord, we pray that, that you would grant us that faith to believe, that faith to trust, that faith to obey the truth as it comes to us, Lord, through the scripture, the word that remains forever while everything else will pass away, Lord, this word will abide. This word will endure. This gospel of Jesus Christ will always go forth until he comes again. And so, Lord, we pray that we would consider the great privilege we have that this word that brings life comes to us even today. Help us, Lord, then, by your grace to receive it, embrace it, and then go forth, we pray, to live this truth that we might reflect your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.